Welcome to Discount Ticket to a World Unknown. This is Catherine. And this is Michaela. <laughs> and we're going to talk to you guys about chapter 14 through 17 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. So we start off with chapter 14, Norbert the Norwegian Ridgeback. That is a lot of, a lot of, a lot oh, of things to say. Awful. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. So we left off with Snape and Coral in the woods and yes. Harry Potter telling Hermione and Ron about what Snape said in the woods and so we're starting off with them being very like conscious of Snape and what they need to make sure he doesn't know before to make sure that he's not going to steal the Sorcerer's Stone is kind of where we we enter. Yes and I want to go into this chapter uh, mentioning the fact that Harry Harry and Ron would not survive school without Hermione due to their compulsion to always investigate the abnormal and break the rules. Oh, yeah. Yet they make fun of her for studying all the time and her little quirks that she does. Yes, um, they really don't. They're not as bad about it later on like they were at the beginning of this book where they always made fun of her for being a bookworm. But they do still give her a hard time, which I, which I agree is pretty funny because they probably wouldn't ace any type of school quiz or anything and figure out even how to use magic without Hermione at this point. So they become very focused on um, anything but their homework. <laughs> exactly. So we start off this chapter and... They're in the Harry, library, aren't they? Well... It or when says, we get a hint about the dragon, they're in the library. Yes, they are in the library uh, trying to look for Nicholas Flamel information, I'm pretty sure. Yes, I'm pretty sure. And they see Hagrid there. They see him in a section and he's off on his own and he's hiding something behind his back. Yeah. And then and after he leaves, they go up to the section that he was looking at and they see dragon information. Yeah, they bring back, uh, Ron brings back books about dragons. Because he brings back, like, the pile that Hagrid was going through. Yes. And that's so, not in the movie at all. They no, just, that is not. They just go to Hagrid's hut, don't they? And they ask him what's in the fire, and that's how we meet the dragon in the movie. So they go to Hagrid's hut, and they just go inside. Hagrid lets them in. And then Hagrid pulls something out of the fire with his little hot mitts or whatever. Mm. And he lays the egg down and then the egg hatches right there. Yes. But in the book, it that, happens over time. Yeah, it, it's a while. It, it takes up like, I want to say a month or so of their time at Hogwarts in the book. Yes. And this entire chapter, I'm pretty sure is almost completely cut out of the movie. Oh yeah. Majority of this chapter is nowhere in the, in the movie. The only thing in the movie is the fact that like Hagrid has a dragon and then the dragon disappears and that's like really it. Well, if you remember in the movie, um, okay, so they're there, they're observing the dragon after it hatched mm -hmm. and then Hagrid looked out the window 
and, and saw Draco Malfoy there yeah. looking in on them. And then he saw the dragon and he went and he told. And if I'm not, if I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that it was Hogwarts in the movie that took care of the dragon. They had no part involved like they do in the um, They actually didn't specify on who took care of the dragon. Yeah, Basically, just- Hagrid had the dragon and Draco saw it and then they all got in trouble for being out of the dorm room after hours or whatever and um and then we come back to a shot with Hagrid and Hagrid says that Norbert is gone I don't think they ever specify how he's gone or where he went or how it happened other than I think that he maybe says that Charlie came and got it like there's no there is not much depth into what happens to Norbert other than Hagrid had it at one point and then Hagrid doesn't have it anymore <laughs> like the point of this the storyline in the movie is just to get Draco and them in trouble and then to like get the storyline to connect to the part where Hagrid told the stranger who gave him the dragon how to take care of Fluffy and like that's the only reason why they kept that in I think they would have gotten rid of it completely if they if it didn't have a specific part to the plot and I guarantee keeping that little information in there had J.K. Rowling had everything to do with that. Oh, yeah. Because I'm sure they would have figured out something else to do. Absolutely. And so we go into this entire chapter. And because it is not in the movie, uh, I do want to talk about it a lot. <laughs> yes. So Hagrid raises or tries to raise this dragon and it bites Ron. Remember, it bites Ron and it has poisonous fangs. And then he yep. goes to the infirmary or whatever. Uh, and then Draco teases him. Um, the dragon's actually getting really big at this point. Like it's growing so fast. And yeah. Hagrid truly thinks that he can take care of it until yes. he can't. Yeah. Well, and to even, even before that, the whole scene where um Draco sees the egg the egg doesn't hatch right then and there so they find out that Hagrid has a dragon or is looking up things about a dragon and then they go to the hut and they see the dragon egg and um Hagrid kind of tells them how he how he came to get a hold of this egg and then they find Draco Malfoy looking into the window and they're worried that he's gonna go tell but he doesn't tell right away like he does in the movies and so they're like waiting for this egg to hatch over like a, a period of time so it's like um they don't go back to see the egg until it's hatching but there's a long period of time in between then where they're like worried about Draco going and telling someone about Hagrid having this dragon and then we see the dragon hatch and that whole scene where he's Hagrid goes he knows his mama or something like that yes and then it goes into him raising this dragon and like basically blaming um Ron and Hermione and Harry and his poor dog to blame for what the dragon does and the fact that Ron gets bit is his fault and the fact that his dog is like burnt and bandaged is his dog's fault like he does not like, this dragon can do no wrong. <laughs> it was his treasure. You know, it was one thing that he really wanted. And Hagrid is good about that in the series. He is definitely a magnet for creatures, raising creatures, the strange. And that's yeah. just who he is as a person. I mean, in the second book, we later learned that he's the reason why he raised that spider, that 
that super large spi- Ugh, yeah. spiders. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just his personality. And that would explain why he was trying to defend the fact that it was hurting people. It was growing. You know, he wasn't able to take care of it. And even though he did raise Fluffy, like he had absolutely no idea what he was dealing with with the dragon. Well, and I don't think they were illegal. Fluffy was illegal. And that was this that was the special thing about this dragon is having a wild dragon is illegal to, to do. And so he couldn't raise it outside or do anything like that. Like he had to keep the dragon quiet and, yes. and hidden. So this dragon gets to the point where it's almost as big as his hut, I think. And they finally convince him to get rid of the dragon. And Ron contacts his brother, Charlie, who works with dragons out in Romania. Yes. And they plan a get-together where they're going to go. This is before Ron gets bit, because this is an important part. So yes. um, before Ron gets bit, they plan for Charlie to come get the dragon, and they plan to go up to the tallest tower at midnight so that um, his four buddies can come pick up this dragon. Yeah. And um, they take the invisibility cloak. Well, and then Ron gets bit and oh, goes yes. to the infirmary and Malfoy uses the excuse that he needs his book or something like that, his notes or something, and takes his book that has the note on when they're going to meet Charlie. And so then Malfoy, no- Malfoy knows about how they're going to go up to the tallest tower at midnight with this dragon. And so then he decides he's going to go tell that night. And that's how Malfoy gets himself in trouble because McGonagall finds him near the tower and he's yelling at her saying that Harry Potter has a dragon and blah, blah, blah. And she doesn't believe any of it. And the crazy thing is she only takes 20 points away from him. But when they, when they catch, um, Hermione and Harry and then Neville she takes 50 points from them and I'm like why would you take more points from your own house because <laughs> she's think, the head household of Gryffindor I think it had something to do with they made a fool of her Probably. um she defended them to Malfoy yeah and then they turned around and were doing exactly what Malfoy said they were doing you know the dragging the dragon out of the plot but she I, I felt like she maybe did feel a little taken betrayed. advantage of betrayed yes so yeah I could see that that would explain why she gave them many more points but what the funny part that I really love and I felt like would have been a great addition to the movie is the fact that they go up to the tower they take the cloak of invisibility to keep them from getting spotted Mm-hmm. And then they go through the excitement of getting rid of the dragon yes. and nobody getting in trouble, everything succeeding the way that it was. And Malfoy to. getting in trouble because they saw that. That had them on an all time high. They yes. loved that. <laughs> yeah. And then they did a rookie mistake and forgot the cloak on the tower. Yes. And, and then they got thought. in trouble. <laughs> And then Filch was there. <laughs> yes. And it was just, yeah. They were and like, and Neville. we forgot the invisibility cloak. <laughs> yes. And poor Neville, because he had nothing to do with Norbert at all. No, he was just trying to warn Harry and Hermione that Draco knew about it and was going to go tell. 
Exactly. He was just trying to be a good friend and warn them. And then he gets in trouble. Yeah. And then McGonagall. I think this is the next chapter that begins with Neville getting in trouble. Does it? I think so. Because I think the end of chapter 14 is when they get caught by Filch because they're like, we left the invisibility cloak. And I think the next one, the next chapter starts with um, them getting in trouble. Yeah. So chapter 15, The Forbidden Forest. And yes. <laughs> in this chapter, um, Neville was never involved with the punishment in the movie. No, he wasn't. He was never brought up at all. And because they did take out almost the entire chapter 14, the details in the movie, and Neville never had any involvement. And he should he should have because it really speaks about his character trying to be a friend trying to make friends you know he's he's made fun of by the slytherins and malfoy and his friends and he he just he's made out to be this complete airhead and they don't really explain that he is actually trying to be a part of the crowd he's trying to be a part of their friend group He's trying to make friends. And that was a very big part to me for Neville because it does complement what he does later. He stands up against them when they try to leave and get yeah. them in trouble again. Yeah, it gives him more of a bigger character arc at the fact that he was he was trying to save his friends and then got in trouble himself. So then later he's trying to save his friends again from doing the same thing. So... Yeah, for some reason I want, I think, I thought that Neville was involved in the punishment, but now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think he is. Because I think it's Ron, Harry, and Hermione that get in trouble. And then it's yeah, Neville. Or not because, Neville, then Malfoy. <laughs> yeah, it is just them. Because if you remember, because you have to connect the movie, so they get in trouble in the movie, and then yeah. it jumps to the Forbidden Forest. And they had, because they took out Neville's character, they had to take out Neville's involvement in the Forbidden Forest. Yeah. He was never there, which means that they had to completely rearrange how things worked in that scene. So then when everyone wakes up the next morning to Harry, Hermione, and Neville losing 50 points each, that night while they were all asleep, they woke up and thought it was a mistake that something had happened to it. And then the story slowly got out that um, they had lost 150 points for their house and had put them in fourth place. They went from first to fourth. Um, And everyone will not talk to them, will not speak to them, are absolutely upset about the whole thing. Uh, Ravenclaw and Hufflepuffs aren't talking to any of them because they're mad that Slytherin is in first place again. Yeah, because everybody was banking on Gryffindor beating Slytherin for once. In seven years. <laughs> but what I want to bring up is the harsh grudge that they hold. They they go all out on that grudge. They oh, yeah. literally take it so far. No one talks to anybody. Like any of them, none. They don't talk yeah. to any of them. They don't look at them. They don't say anything about them. Harry Potter has lost all of his fame no one's whispering about him anymore. Like everyone is completely ignoring them. And then um, all the friends that they kind of had, they're kind of like Neville doesn't really say much to Harry or Hermione. Well, that was also because um, McGonagall made it out like they set up Neville. Yeah. Yeah. They, 
because Harry and Hermione didn't want to tell what they were doing. And so Neville was led to believe that um, the story was made up to get Malfoy in trouble. And then, so then Neville got in trouble for believing them. So. Exactly. Poor Neville. So, exactly. Poor Neville. So everyone is ignoring them. And then Filch comes to them about their punishment. And then they I thought it was delivered by owls. Was it delivered by owls? I think so. The punishment or them saying that they need to be here by uh, midnight to fulfill their um, punishment, I think was delivered by owls. And then they meet Filch and Filch is the one that walks them to the forest. Yeah, Filch does. And then as he's walking them to the forest, he is reprimanding them. He is scaring them, um, which I think is great. He does do that in the movie, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he does. Yes. And so they are met up with Hagrid. Hagrid explains a little bit, just a little bit about why they're there. And then they go into the forest and then he immediately separates them into two groups. Draco and Harry are not separated immediately together from the other group. He puts Neville and Draco together with Fang and sends them off and keeps Hermione and Harry with him. Yes, and I do understand why they did that, but because they took out Neville's character involvement in that scene, it caused a domino effect because now they have to take out so many details that involved Neville. And one of those details was the centaurs. There was an entire scene where the centaurs were involved and it and it brings them to character it brings who they are and what they represent and they talk to the stars or to mm-hmm. the planets or anything like that and the centaur does come up later whenever harry is in trouble and then they find that hooded figure eating or drinking the unicorn blood but yes that was in the movie but i don't think they're really explained what they are though in the movie no, they don't. I think that he kind of says, like, we're centaurs, we look up at the stars and see the, like, what's to come or whatever, but I think it was very short and sweet, and I don't think that it went into as much detail as the books do, and the books gave you more than just, was it Friends that saves Harry? Because you meet Bane and Friends, and there's one more. Ronan. Ronan's the Ronan. Ronan's the other one. So you meet Ronan and Bane first before you meet friends. And they talk Hagrid, about the stars. Yes. And Hagrid's trying to ask if they've seen what's hurting the unicorns. And they're like not giving him a straight answer. They're like look, just looking at the stars and saying weird ominous things. <laughs> yes. And they kind of make it out or later they kind of make it out like they can read the future or that they hope that the the stars are wrong about what's going to happen, which I guarantee had Harry and Voldemort's involvement together. But we see, so we go back a little bit, let's backtrack. So they are separated. Draco and Neville are separated together with Fang. Mm -hmm. And then Hagrid, Hermione, Ron, and Harry all go off, right? Right. And then there was that scene with the centaurs. And then they were told to throw up a red light into the air if anything happens or if anything goes wrong. And then they find out that Malfoy just scared Neville. And so they sent up red sparks and Hagrid went over and grabbed Neville and switched Harry to be with Draco. 
Yes. And then he's, that's whenever he's with Draco. So it wasn't really much of a transition. However, it does take out a lot of detail in the movie, but, and then you come upon the dark figure whenever Draco and Harry are together and Fang and Draco take off together. They just disappear and leave Harry alone. Harry's like frozen in spot. Like he, his scar is hurting. He is watching this person drink unicorn blood and he is just not moving. He is just. Yes. And then he's saved by the centaur. And then they have that cute short little scene where he kind of explains a little bit about what's going on. Um, And then they leave the dark, the forbidden forest. Yeah. And then we're on to, no, no, no. And then we get back to the the dorm room and, and Harry has the invisibility cloak on his bed. Yes, someone says, returned it from the tower. Yes, and a note says, just in case. <laughs> and just that's where it is. And then we move on to chapter 16, through the trap door where all the shit starts to happen. Where everything <laughs> goes down. Yes, all the excitement starts. <laughs> so the movie um, leaves out anything about the school after um, the dragon scene, I think. Like basically any, they start with like um, you seeing all of the classes and what they do in those classes and then learning magic and all that kind of stuff. And I want to say even earlier than the dragon, I want to say by Christmas, we're done seeing them in classes and now we're just watching Harry, Ron, and Hermione try to find out who Nicholas Tamell is and what the, dra- the what the monster is um, guarding and blah 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 all of like all of the schooling has just left and there's really no like no schooling in the movie after Christmas but this chapter actually is full of them preparing for their final tests like it's them like studying and taking their final tests and what those final tests are and what they had to do in each class. And like, it's so detailed about what they're doing in school. And so it actually makes you feel like they're actually in school and learning something <laughs> instead of just like trying to figure out who's trying to steal the sorcerer's stone. <laughs> so yes, and they do go into, they do dive into the schooling a little bit more in this chapter and they explain how they're cramming everything together yeah. They're trying to take their tests. And again, I bring up how would they survive school without Hermione? Because she yeah. was the one who looked over their homework. Well, she, and set up a studying schedule for them. She did. She <laughs> set up a studying schedule. And, and it does help when you have friends like that. And it does help encourage good behavior for school. But I feel like it's a bit unrealistic because... Unless you are at least a little bit invested a bit more than Harry was, I feel like in Harry's head, he is always thinking about what other trouble to get into or what other mystery to solve. I feel like that's what happens in Harry's head. Yeah, well, the, the I think the thing that saves Harry in this section is that they know nothing will happen as long as Dumbledore's at the school. And so he has a like safety um blanket with the fact that Dumbledore never leaves the school and so he has nothing to worry about until Dumbledore leaves and then he does yes at the after their last test I think it is they're searching for him that's what they after the tests after the tests something clicks with Harry and it doesn't ever really explain what clicks yeah but he thinks about Fluffy 
and about the stranger that gave Hagrid the dragon. And so then he runs to Hagrid and asks Hagrid what they talk, what he talked about um, to the stranger. And Hagrid then divulges that he told the stranger how to take care of Fluffy. And so then that's when they're running to go find Dumbledore because they're like, um, Snape knows how to get past Fluffy now. He knows everything. We've got to go warn Dumbledore so he can go save the stone, blah, blah, blah. And, and then, then they, they run, run into in. McGonagall. Yep. <laughs> and she, they come right out. And I do have to say, as a child, if I'm up to mischief, I do not reveal to the teacher what I'm up to. And Harry does. They come out and say, well, this is happening. We know about the stone. We need to get to Dumbledore. And then McGonagall is thrown for a loop. She is like, how do you know about that? Yeah. And it she just can't believe that they know about the Sorcerer's Stone and Fluffy and, and, and everything. <laughs> yes. And then she ends up preventing them from getting to the trap door. Um, and then they take it upon themselves to try to follow Snape out yeah. of the teacher's lounge to keep they an try eye to on keep, him. Yeah, they try to keep track of him. So Hermione is supposed to watch Snape. And then Harry and Ron are supposed to be hanging out near the Forbidden Corridor to make sure Snape doesn't enter it. And that's when McGonagall catches them and tells them that they'll lose like more points, like 50 more points each if she finds them up there again or something like that. So then they have to go um, run away. And in that time, Hermione loses Snape. And so they decide that they have to go save the stone, that there's just no one else that's going to help them. Yes, and then I'm pretty sure that it fast forwards to them sneaking out, and they have the cloak, and that's when Neville stands up to them. Yep, they are waiting for everyone to leave the common room, and then they get all together and start chatting about what they're going to do, and are they, is everyone ready? And as they're about to throw this invisibility cloak on and dip out of there, Neville stands up in front of the door and says, no, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> the bravery that he, it took to stand up to your friends. Yes, oh, yeah. I do. I do agree with that later on when Dumbledore awards Neville points for his house. That was very courageous. Yes, it was. And I do think it's very sweet that Hermione uses that spell on Neville. And then she goes up to him and she makes it a point to be like, I am so sorry, Neville. Yeah. And then they leave. Yeah, she's like, I'm so sorry, Neville. And then she um, does the uh, profic, whatever, uh, the full body curse. <laughs> I can't remember how to pronounce it. Petrificus um, totalis. Yes, Petrificus totalis. And then she's like, she says sorry before she does it. And then she runs up to him and like, make sure. And I think he falls on his face and she rolls him over so yes. that he's not like face down and she's like I'm so sorry Neville but we have to and like then they run out in the invisibility cloak <laughs> yes and they're running and they're running as fast as they can they run they, into Peeves yes yes they do and this is an amazing scene and it's so sad that they just got rid of Peeves um because it shows how like Harry thinks on his feet like he's like they're trying to figure out how to get rid of Peeves, but not like show off that he's they're invisible. And so um, Harry Potter just starts acting like the bloody uh, ghost, bloody Baron. Bloody uh, Baron. Yes, they start. He starts yelling at Peeves as Bloody Baron, 
and it makes Peeves go away because Peeves doesn't like the Bloody Mary nuts. Yes, and it's here's how it goes. It says, Peeves, the Bloody Baron has his own reasons for being invisible. And Peeves straightens up and he is just like, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. <laughs> because Peeves was so sure that it was a child or something invisible, a ghost, or I don't know. And after that, either before or after, they run into Mrs. Norris. I think it's after. After? Yeah, and I, I think it's near the door. Yeah, and I they don't give her very much of a character in the books. No, they just kind of make her there. And then in the second book, because they make her a character in the first book and the second book, whenever she is petrified in the second book, I feel like that has a lot to play. But when she's petrified in the movies in the second movie, the adult really care. It's just another detail to the mystery about what's going on. Yeah, you don't really feel for... Uh, Filch or the cat in the second movie because you don't really get to know the relationship between Filch and the cat and so it's not as like heavy feeling in the second and movie. I'm pretty sure she's not just any normal cat either right she's very intelligent for a cat um I think they have a word for her like cat breed because Hermione's cat I think is the same like breed name or whatever but yes she's not a regular ordinary like pet cat she's I'm pretty sure she's supposed to be a wizard cat or something yeah well in the movies they make her just a pet yes they do (laughs) (laughs) so they pass Mrs. Norris Mrs. Norris how do you say that Mrs. Norris I think Mrs. Norris they pass her and then they go to the trap door and then they see that the they open up the door to the Forbidden Corridor and um, they see a harp there with Fluffy, but the harp's not playing like it is in the movie. Like they no. have to play their own music. Well, in the movie, they go in there, Fluffy is asleep, the harp is playing, mm-hmm. and they sneak their way over to the trap door underneath Fluffy's paw. And then the Fluffy, and then Fluffy wakes up. Yes, well, in the book, apparently they stole Hagrid's flute that he used on Fluffy. No, um, the flute was given to Harry for as a Christmas present. It from was, Hagrid. It? Yes, completely forgot that. So yes, <laughs> they took Hagrid's flute, the flute that Hagrid yes. gave him, and yes. then they're playing the flute as they are trying to get into the trap door. And that scene, I feel like, was really dramatic in the movie because you they have to run to get to that trap door because Fluffy wakes up. Well, they, they walk over to the trap door and they're arguing about who's going to go first. And then Fluffy wakes up. And so it's just like, they all three of them, I think, jump. Or it's, there's no, like, there's urgency on needing to jump instead of just, like, fighting over who's going to go. Yes, and in the books, they don't really have that. They just have the mystery of it. And Fluffy isn't really some big, scary dog. She, three-headed dog, she is just a dog that Hagrid raised and that they're able to manage with the flute. So they jump into the trap door and then they land into the devil's snare. Yes, which is a completely different scene from the movie. 
Yes. So they they land in Devil's Snare, and in the movie, Hermione tells them to stop moving and to just relax so that they'll fall through the Devil's Snare. And that is um, never brought up in the book. That isn't even a thing in the book. No, Devil's Snare does not work like that. Devil's Snare begins to engulf you regardless of if you're moving or not moving. Yes. The only way to get Devil's Snare off of you is by using fire. And then that's exactly what Hermione does. Yes. Which this whole scene is, I love the dialogue in this scene and I don't think it's in the movies at all. But it's where Hermione is trying to think of what to do to get out of Devil's Snare and she's she's like they like damp and cold and a dark and damp or something like that and she's like so they're scared of fire and she's like there's no wood here though and ron yells at her and he's like you're a witch you're a witch aren't you or something like that because she didn't remember that she could just make fire come out of her wand yes and it does really explain it does point out the fact that ron people like ron and then people like hermione they grew up in different worlds. We do bring yes. we did bring that up a bit in the very beginning of this book. Yeah, and it scene. reminds yes, and it reminds you that she grew up in this mindset: fire, wood. You have to create mm-hmm. fire. You can't zap fire. Yes, yes, and it also shows that Hermione really isn't the one to think on her feet. She's more exactly of the, the planner, and so she knows all these things but she kind of has to be like reminded of what she needs to do next in a in a situation because she doesn't just think of it immediately she gets better at it but in the beginning she's like it's just funny that Ron goes you're a witch (laughs) yes so she zaps them out of the devil's snare and then they are immediately propelled into down the hall where they discovered the keys, the flying keys or what yes. they think is birds at first. Yes. And in the movie, and there are a lot of comparisons in the next few chapters or next two chapters, um, but in the movie, it is just Harry because he is showing off his skill as a seeker to catch that key. It yeah. is just him catching the key. However, in the book, there are three three broomsticks, specifically for three people, which I feel like was intended by yeah. the professors, and they all fly to catch the key. Yes, Harry. No, wait. Does Harry catch the key in the book? Yes, Harry still catches the key, but he instructs Ron and Hermione to help flank the key so that the key has nowhere to go for him to catch it. Yes. Like so Ron it's teamwork stays, in the book. Yes, Ron like stays above him. Hermione stays below and he's right where the key is and they make it to where it's impossible for the key to go anywhere. Yes. And that's how he catches it. So they get the key, they unlock it, it fits. And then they go to the chessboard, yes. the super large chessboard. And what I want to point out is Ron doesn't ride the back of the chess piece. No. So in the movie, they, Hermione and Ron, or sorry, Hermione and Harry stand in the empty spaces and then Ron climbs onto the back of the knight, right? Onto the back of the horse. He becomes knight. Yeah. And that's his involvement in the movie. But in the book, there are three clear spaces and. Well, no, in the, in the book. There's no clear spaces. He's talking about 
what they need to do and is actually talking to a chess piece and telling him to move yes and telling and talking to each other about what piece they're going to be and then that chess piece that's listening like moves the pieces out and makes room for them yes well I feel like this is a very important part to me in this chapter because Ron is injured in both the movie and the book he is injured however in the book he is injured worse than he is in the movies yes because he's specifically hit yes he is hit he sacrifices himself and he is hit the horse is hit mainly but he is hit he gets hit off of it yeah but in the book there is no horse to block anything he is literally hit in the head by stone yes yeah yeah he in the book is a lot more serious that he sacrifices himself to get Hermione and Harry to go he basically realizes that there's no way that Hermione and Harry can move forward without one of them being sacrificed and he he realizes that Harry needs to keep going and that Hermione needs to go with Harry because she needs, she is the brighter one that's going to be able to help him get through the next challenge. And so he sacrifices himself and tells Harry what to do next to um, checkmate the king. And then does his move and the queen literally smacks him with her stone out of, off the chessboard even too, I think. And so yes. he's like, he's knocked out. He's not just like fell off the horse and is hurt a little. No, he's like knocked he's cold. He's out. And knocked then out in the cold. movie... Hermione stays behind with Ron and then says, you can go forward. And then he is immediately confronted with Coral. Yes. However, it is left out that Hermione goes with Harry. Yep. They pass a troll. Which is already knocked out. Yes, it is already knocked out. They they don't deal with it at all. Nope. And then they are thrown into Snape's spell. Yes, where fire shows up in front of the door that they're trying to get to and fire shows up in the door that they just came out of and they have to figure out which potion to take to get them through each fire. Yes, and that's whenever Hermione's brain comes in. She said it wasn't a spell. It had nothing to do with magic. It had to do with logic. And I just shows how much she would have fit in with Ravenclaw's. (laughs) Absolutely. And because she is so courageous and so willing to put herself out there in these situations and be adventurous, I feel like she, that's why she was put into Gryffindor. Well, she picked Gryffindor. I'm pretty sure. I, it says, I'm pretty sure they talk about it later on in the books, but she was told that she would do well in Ravenclaw or Gryffindor and she chose Gryffindor. I'm pretty sure. Well, that's cool. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, and I really loved <laughs> Snape's spell. I really loved that part. And Oh yeah, uh, I think it was really clever. Yes. And they get by then they realize, well, Harry'll have to do this on his own because yeah, there's only enough potion for one. Right. Well, they figure out which one is the potion they need to take to get through the fire to get to the next challenge. And Harry realizes that there's only enough left for one and then directs Hermione to take the other potion to get out, uh, to go back to Ron, to get Ron out of there and go find Dumbledore. Yes, we'll go the send an owl. Yes, go send an, buy the broomsticks out and go send an owl to Dumbledore to get him here. Yes, and then that is whenever he goes through the fire, 
And then he is thrown through the door into coral. Yes. And then that is the next chapter. Then chapter next 17. Chapter. <laughs> the man with two faces. So this one, I had a lot more notes for than you did. And I think it was just because you were so like, I have read this multiple times. So I think I could pick it out a little more than you. And you were just so engulfed in the story that I just- I was. I don't think that you pulled out hints. <laughs> no, I was really, I was- drawn into this chapter and even though I read the book once before I read it the second time Mm -hmm. it's just such a great chapter and it's written so well absolutely it's written so well well anyways to start off it is not Snape it is Quirrell that is standing there in front of the mirror waiting for Harry Potter um and this whole a lot of the scene is kind of the same as the movie except that Harry gets tied up by ropes which I don't think happened in the movie at all and Harry is so desperate to get in front of the mirror to try and figure out how to get the stone um or how to direct Coral away from the stone or he's just so he has such a desire in his heart to make sure that the stone doesn't go to Coral that he's trying everything he can do while he's tied up in these ropes to like look in the mirror. Yeah, and then Coral kind of ignores his presence. He's just like, well, Harry Potter, hi. And then he's and talking you're in to ropes. Him- <laughs> yes. And he's talking to himself or what we think is himself, trying to figure out how to get the stone. Well, he first explains everything that happened through the year. So yes. he explains like that he was the one that was trying to kill Harry on the broom that, um, he Snape was, the one, was trying to counter curse yeah and he was the one that tried to steal the stone out of the vault and that was when his master decided that he had to keep a closer eye on him and became Voldemort on the back of his head um <laughs> and then there's like a couple other things that he fills in the blanks for you that like makes sense on why he's the bad guy and not Snape and that is kind of a copy of what does happen in the movie it doesn't go into as like depth of detail yeah so yes and then that's whenever he starts talking to himself or what harry thinks is himself yes. and then the, the creepy ter- voice comes yes out. The, creepy <laughs> voice, the creepy whispery voice yes yeah, starts talking and he's like what the hell <laughs> yeah and he's like use the boy use the boy yes and then he puts him in front of the mirror after he's untied him right And then Harry, he desires to find the stone so badly that he finds it. Yes, he watches his reflection put the stone in his pocket. And then he feels the stone drop in his pocket, which is different from the movie, which, I mean, obviously they had to do it differently to show that the stone is actually in his pocket. But in the book, he actually feels the stone fall into his pocket. And in the movie, he feels his pocket and realizes that it's there. Yes, Which obviously, I mean, that's kind of, you had to do that for the movie or it wouldn't have made sense, but it's a little different there. (laughs) Um, And then Harry lies to Coral and Voldemort realizes that he's lying and tells Coral that he wants to talk to him himself. And that's when the turban gets taken off and this creepy face with uh, slits for nostrils starts talking to him from the back of Coral's head. (laughs) And that does bring up the unicorn blood as well for me. Um, yeah. So they said that if you drink unicorn's blood, you live a cursed life, right? Mm-hmm. 
So technically Quirrell drinks the unicorn blood for Voldemort. Yeah. And I wonder, like, does that curse Quirrell as well? Or is that the reason why Voldemort ends up the way that he is? Because I know that he is basically almost wiped out of existence. He is nearly killed or he can't be killed because he is some type of... Just an essence. An essence, yes. Yeah. He's kind of just floating about. Um, So is that the reason why he comes back into form the way that he is? Is it because um, of the unicorn blood, or is that just because he was his essence was split into so many hookoxes? So I believe that his the reason that he's just kind of an essence floating around trying to find a host is because of the horcruxes. I think for him to stay in the host was why he needed unicorn blood. And then it caused him to live a cursed life. Yes, I don't know for a fact if that's true. However, the um, form that he takes in the fourth book has in and of itself its own theory, and it has nothing to do with the unicorn blood. So um, I don't really, uh, there's a lot of theories about how Voldemort returns in that weirdly shaped body that he's in when he gets thrown into the whatever and is made into who he is now. Um, But I think that, I also think that Coral is part of the cursed life because he doesn't really become anything after this. I don't, I don't think they ever explain what happens to Coral and Voldemort, but I don't believe that it ends well for either of them. So I'm thinking that Coral is also cursed. Okay. Yes. <laughs> they have this scene where they're arguing about whether Harry was lying or not. And then that is whenever he yells, sees him. And then he touches Harry and he burns. Well, actually, he touches Harry, but he doesn't burn until Harry touches him with his hands. Okay. Yeah, Harry grasps his hand, I think, or his arm, his wrist, and his wrist starts boiling up, I believe is what happened. Yeah, and then he just keeps touching him. And he, out of instinct, it says, he knew to touch him and to keep touching him. But every time he touched him, it hurt him. It hurt his head, his scar. Yes. And so they, Coral is getting burned. Um he, Harry is really thinking that he needs to hold on as long as possible until Dumbledore gets there. Hold on, I'm trying to see. Um, Voldemort screams, sees him. In the next second, Harry felt Quarrel's hand close on his wrist. At once, a needle-sharp pain seared across his scar, and his head felt as though it might split in two. I guess he doesn't touch him with his hands, so I'm wrong. So just Quarrel touching him in general burns him. So yes. You were right. Um, but then Harry starts using his hands to attack Quarrel. And that I, that's where... Because in the movie, he grasps Quarrel, I think. And that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, but so the difference between the movie and the book in this scene is Quarrel be, uh, in the book like gets boils and like is burning and in the movie he's disintegrating basically and then in the movie you see Voldemort's spirit or whatever and make him pass out and that's not the case at all in the book and actually 
the book makes it even more like you realize how dangerous it is because that pain that's in Harry's head just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and that's what makes him pass out and that pain that he was experiencing actually almost killed him yes and they don't go they kind of switch the scene and they're like oh well he's he's fine he woke up he was just passed out for a little while he's fine but they don't actually admit that he was out for what was it three days I think so I think they said three days yeah yeah and he did almost die yeah Dumbledore was worried that he got there late and actually so um in the movie Voldemort passes through Harry and Harry passes out and that's like the end of the scene in the book Harry is uh Coral is screaming Harry is trying to hold Coral as long as he can to burn him and to just hold on as long as he can until someone comes and helps them and he hears someone yelling Harry Harry and then he passes out he feels someone pull him off I think and then he passes out and that's Dumbledore and you don't ever find that out in the movie. And Dumbledore saved Harry in the book. He does yeah. not save him in the movie. No, which is sad. But it just it's it's just another part of Dumbledore and Harry's relationship that just gets thrown out of the movie. Exactly. And then Harry wakes up in the infirmary, surrounded by gifts and treats yeah. from his <laughs> friends and everyone who is like congratulations. And then Dumbledore is there. And I love this part because Dumbledore makes a comment about how generally no one is supposed to know about what occurred with the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. That everyone knows what occurred. He was like, this was supposed to be a secret. So naturally everyone knows, (laughs) (laughs) which is hilarious. (laughs) Exactly. So they do talk a little bit and they talk about the logistics about everything and then Nicholas Flamel comes up and Dumbledore says oh so you know about my friend Nicholas and then Dumbledore says that they are going to destroy the stone because it is too dangerous to well they had already destroyed the stone oh they already destroyed it yes and then Harry asks him about Nicholas Flamel and his wife and then they explain that they made enough elixir to last them a long enough time to get their affairs in order. Yeah, and that it, when you live that long, it's more like um, going on to the next adventure than actually like dying, I think is what he kind of, is like the quote that he says or something along Yeah, because they lived so long. Mm -hmm. And then they get into a conversation about how he thought it was Snape. And then he wonders why Snape is so mean to him and then they talk a little bit about that and then about how Snape's Snape and his father were together in school and they grew up together and And they hated each other they hated (laughs) each other and then I loved the part where Dumbledore brings up that Harry's father did something that was absolutely unforgivable to Snape and it yep. was that he saved Snape's life. Yep. And I loved that. I loved that. And and that basically Harry's dad died before Snape could repay his debt of him saving Snape. Yeah. So Snape being there and helping Harry 
it made him feel like he was obligated to. But that is just what you know. You don't know later on that he he was in love with Lily, Harry's mother. Yeah, you don't find that out until the, like the last book, I think. Yes. Is when you find out. And you did not know that Harry's father saved Snape. I did not. You were shocked by that, which I thought was weird because I could have sworn that that's in the movies, but maybe it's I'm such, wrong. It's such a short scene. And after everything that happened, you're like, oh, good. It's, it's well, I don't think it's in this movie. I, I think it comes up later on when the actual story of what Harry's dad did to save Snape's life comes up. And so that's why I'm shocked that you didn't know this. I, it might have been just because I haven't seen the movies in a very in a while. long time. <laughs> yes. I just can't recall that he actually did that. And it's just, it's great to think about. Yes, it is. Yeah. And then after the scene with Voldemort, or the scene with Voldemort, good grief, the scene with Dumbledore where he explains everything that happens after Harry passes out. Um, we go, we see Ron and Hermione come visit him in the infirmary and Harry kind of fills them in on what Dumbledore said. And I love this part because I think that it's very telling of how Harry already views Dumbledore because Ron is calling him mad or calling Dumbledore mad for basically preparing Harry to go into this fight, basically go through the challenges and all of that to get, to get to the point where he'd have to, um, confront Voldemort and Harry kind of flips it and says no I think that he was aware that there was a good chance I was going to confront Voldemort and that I had the right to do so if I was able to and so he kind of helped me make sure that I was successful to do that and so I think that kind of like shows the not only the intent of Dumbledore, who kind of gives you off this like idea that he is kind of all knowing and knows the future and um, helps it like rein it in to see how Dumbledore was trying to protect Harry by giving him all of this knowledge and this preparedness for what was coming. Exactly. And then after he talks to Ron and Harry, or Ron and Hermione, um, there's a scene with Hagrid where Hagrid is just like unconsolably crying about everything that's happened and how Hagrid didn't believe him and blah, 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 and helped him find all this information out that made him go find the Sorcerer's Stone and all of this. And then they're fighting about um, Harry saying Voldemort instead of you know who or thou or whatever, the guy not be named, or I don't even fucking know at this that point. I shall not be named. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and that scene is not in the movie at all. I don't even think the scene where Ron and Hermione meet him in the infirmary is really a part of the movie. I think it kind of no, ends it is, with Dumbledore. It's Dumbledore. And then that famous quote that Dumbledore says where um not saying the name gives it power yes he does say that and then that's whenever harry makes the argument about how it is Voldemort. you say the name you do not fear it well and that and it gives him the um like dumbledore basically approves him to say voldemort instead of that who shall not be named or um you know who or whatever else they call him um because Dumbledore basically says that 
saying the name means that you don't fear the thing or something along those lines and so he refuses to not say Voldemort's name and that gets him in trouble later but that's further (laughs) further in in the story but it it I think that it actually helps Harry because he does he isn't afraid of Voldemort because he won't say Voldemort's name exactly which is a very strong point Yes. So that scene is cut out. The scene between Hagrid coming in. Yes. And then Hermione and Ron coming in. And then we go to the feast, right? The house cup. Yes. Yes. And then everybody (laughs) is congratulating Harry for everything that he did and talking about it. They're finally talking to him again. They're talking to him. They're whispering about him. I don't know if they're necessarily congratulating him because they're all sitting at the feast, but they're at least talking to him and like whispering behind his back again and and all that stuff. I'm pretty sure Fred and George do say that. They come in and congratulate him. Yes, I'm pretty sure Fred and George do. I think they're like one of the only ones that actually like come up and congratulate him at that moment. I think yes. later on they're congratulating him as Dumbledore's awarding things, but I digress. Anyways, um, so they're all at the feast and um, Dumbledore is getting ready to announce who won the House Cup and um, the, whole, the whole dining hall is decorated by um, Slytherin colors and Slytherin's... Um, Slytherin has won the House Cup. Yes, yes. And then Dumbledore gets up in front of everybody and he starts his speech and then that is whenever it goes down a hill for Slytherin yes (laughs) and he perfectly awards just enough points that Gryffindor beats Slytherin (laughs) I think it's hilarious and that scene does happen kind of word for word in the movie like it does the book Yes. So I have no complaints about that part. I love that part. That part in the movie is absolutely amazing because after yeah. all of that, they win. Yes. After everything that Harry, Ron, and Hermione have done, they finally get kind of rewarded for it and they win the house cup for their house. And then the movie ends with them getting on the train. The book does not end with them getting on the train. The book um after the final feast you get a little bit of harry in um the train talking to his friends and all that kind of stuff and then we're back at nine and three quarters and it it explains how they leave nine and three quarters without like making it obvious that people are like running out of the wall and just appearing in the london train station um, because they have a guard standing there at the wall that's only letting people like twos and threes go through the wall and like making it less obvious. Um, and then you have the Weasleys and Hermione actually interact with Uncle Vernon and finally see how awful Uncle Vernon is instead how of Harry just telling them how awful Uncle Vernon is. Yes. <laughs> And then they say their goodbyes and then talk yes. about visiting for the summer. Yes. Yes. And Hermione is just shocked at how rude Uncle Vernon was to all of them. Yes. Just like Harry, I mean, or he just basically was like, we're in the car and just left him. Like <laughs> <laughs> There was no like cordial, hello, nothing. He was like, 
I'm gone. Let's go. <laughs> yes. And then I love, I love, love, love that it ends on such a good note that Harry explains to his friends that he is going to have fun this summer because Dudley and the Dursleys have absolutely no idea that he can't use magic. Yep. And that's how it ends. That is how it ends. And on we such- are done with yes. the Sorcerer's Stone. <laughs> We have made it through the first book. <laughs> Amazingly so. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. So that is the end of the Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. We have loved reading this book and talking about it with you guys. I hope that you guys enjoyed it as much as we did because I know I definitely enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. And please feel free to message us or send us an email and let us know your favorite parts because we are going to have another episode where we talk about our favorite moments in this first book. Yes. So tune in next week to hear us talk about our favorite parts of the Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And all as always, always send us an email with what you think of each chapter and what you think was interesting or was different from the movie. Or honestly, if we spoke wrong and we said something that wasn't true, feel free to correct us. We would love it. (laughs) Just shoot an email at discount ticket number two, world unknown at protonmail.com. And also go over and check out our Patreon page. We would love for you to be an exclusive patron and get to enjoy all of our exclusive question and answering episodes and being able to talk to us in person about our in over zoom about what we're doing and getting to hear our silly things that we do in between us recording (laughs) absolutely and visit our social medias because any information that we have will be posted on there yes and as always we thank you for listening and please enjoy the next episode where we talk about our favorite parts of the sorcerer's stone 